Good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. What well, today is May the 16th, 136th day of the year. 229 days remain to the year so forth. And as you listeners have requested, I'm going to list the national... Observation Days and Holidays for today. National Mimosa Day. Drawing Day. International Day of Light. Martyrdom of Imam Sadiq. National Barbecue Day. National Biographer's Day. Uh, National Coquilles Saint Jacques Day. That's a French seafood delicacy. National Do Something Good for Your Neighbor Day. National uh, Love a Tree Day. National Piercing Day. Go get something pierced. National Sea Monkey Day. National Stop Nausea Day. Wear, National Wear Purple for Peace Day. Kind of dumb, but okay. Nickel Day. Ride a Unicycle Day. Sex Differences in Health Awareness Day. Supply Chain Professionals Day, and Waiter's Day. But frankly, anytime you go to a restaurant and tip the waiter, that's a Waiter's Day. 946 AD, Emperor Suzuku abdicates the throne in favor of his brother Murakami. Murakami becomes the 62nd Emperor of Japan. 1204, Baldwin IX, Count of Flanders, is crowned as the first Emperor of the Latin Kingdom. The Latin Empire, rather. And uh, I think he became the king of Jerusalem, which is still a hereditary title. 1364, Hundred Years' War. Bertrand du Guesclin and the French army defeat the Anglo Navarrese army of Charles the Bad at Cocherel. 1426, Governor Thedo of Modnian becomes the king of Ava. And for those who don't know where Ava is located, it was the dominant kingdom that ruled Upper Burma from 1364 to 1555. Uh, founded in 1365, the kingdom was a successor state to the petty kingdoms of Mayan Siang, Pinya, and Saganying. Yet it ruled central Burma since the collapse of the pagan empire in the late 13th century. Okay. 1527, the Florentines drive out the Medici for a second time and Florence reestablished itself as a republic. 1532, Sir Thomas More resigns as Lord Chancellor of England. 1568, Mary Queen of Scots flees to England. 1584, Santiago de Vera becomes sixth Governor General of the Spanish colony of the Philippines. 1739, Battle of Versailles concludes as the Marathas defeat the Portuguese army. 1770, 14-year-old Marie Antoinette marries 15-year-old Louis Augusta, who later becomes king of France when she became queen. 1771, the Battle of Alamance, a pre-American Revolutionary War battle between local militia and a group of rebels called the Regulators, occurs in present-day Alamance County, North Carolina. 1811, Peninsula War. 
the allies of Spain, Portugal, and the UK fight an inconclusive battle against the French at the Abu Era. It's in proportion to the numbers involved, the bloodiest battle of the war. 1812, Imperial Russia signs a treaty of Bucharest, ending the Russo Turkish War. Ottoman Empire cedes Bessarabia to Russia. And in 1822, the Greek War of Independence, the Turks capture the Greek town of Suli. 1832, Juan Godoy discovers the rich silver outcrops of Geneseo, sparking the Chilean silver rush. 1834, Battle of Sierra is fought. Final decisive engagement of the liberal wars in Portugal. 1842, first major wagon train heading for the Pacific Northway sets out on the Oregon Trail from Elm Grove, Missouri with 100 pioneers. 1866, Congress establishes the nickel. 1868, the United States Senate fails to convict President Andrew Johnson by one vote in his impeachment trial. The uh, Radical Republicans wanted the, the South published, uh, punished severely, and Johnson didn't, so they decided to throw him out of office. He succeeded Abraham Lincoln. 1874, a flood on the Mill River in Massachusetts destroys much of four villages and kills 139 people. 1877, uh, May 16, 1877, crisis occurs in France, ending with the dissolution of the National Assembly on the 22nd of June and affirming the interpretation of the Constitution of 1875 as a parliamentary rather than a presidential system. The elections held October 1877 led to the defeat of the Royalists as a form of political movement in France. 1888, Nikola Tesla delivers a lecture describing the equipment which would allow efficient generation and the use of alternating currents for, to transmit electric power over long distances. He also was one of those who pioneered uh, wireless dissemination of electricity. 1891, the International Electrotechnical Exhibition opens in Frankfurt, Germany. features the world's first long-distance transmission of high-power, three-phase electric current, which is the most common form today. 1916, UK of Great Britain and Ireland and France Third Republic signed the secret wartime Sykes-Picot Agreement, partitioning former Ottoman territories such as Iraq and Syria. 1918, the Sedition Act of 1918 is passed by the U.S. Congress, making criticism of the government during wartime an imprisonable offense, is repealed less than two years later, as well it should have been. 1919, a naval Curtis NC-4 aircraft commanded by Albert Cushing Reed leaves Tripassi, Newfoundland for Lisbon via the Azores on the first transatlantic flight. 1920, in Rome, Pope Benedict XV canonizes Joan of Arc. 1925, the first modern performance of Claudio Monteverdi's opera Il Ritomo di Usi in Patria occurs in Paris. 1929, in Hollywood, the first Academy Award ceremony takes place. 1943, the Holocaust, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising ends on this date. Ashram 43, Operation Chastise, undertaken by RAF Bomber Command, with specially equipped Avro Lancasters to destroy the Moni Serpe and their dams in the Ruhr Valley. 
1951, the first regularly scheduled transatlantic flights began between Adelaide Airport, which is now JFK International, in New York City, and Heathrow Airport in London. It was operated by El Israel Airlines. 1959, the Triton Fountain in Valletta, Malta was turned on for the first time. 1960, Theodore Nyman operates the first optical laser at the Hughes Research Laboratories in Malibu, California. It was a ruby laser. 1961, Park Chung-hee leads a coup d'etat to overthrow the Second Republic of South Korea. 1966, the Chinese Communist Party issues the May 16th notice, marking the beginning of the Cultural Revolution, which was a major disaster. 1969, Venera program. Venera 5, a Soviet space probe, lands on Venus. 1974, Joseph Braz Tito was elected president for life of Yugoslavia. 1975, Junko Tabai from Japan becomes the first woman to reach the summit of Mount Everest. 1988, a report by the Surgeon General of the U.S., the Everett Coop, states that the addictive properties of nicotine are similar to those of heroin and cocaine. 1991, Queen Elizabeth II of the U.K. addresses a joint session of Congress. She's the first British monarch to address the U.S. Congress. 1997, Obutu Sese Seko, the President of Zaire, flees the country. 2003 in Morocco, 33 civilians are killed. More than 100 people are injured in the Casablanca terrorist attacks. 2005, Kuwait permits women's suffrage in a 35-23 National Assembly vote. 2011, STS-134, uh, that's the ISS Assembly Flight, ULF-6, launched from the Kennedy Space Center on the 25th and final flight for the Space Shuttle Endeavour. And in 2014, 12 people are killed in two explosions in the Yukumbo market area of Nairobi, Kenya. Well, yesterday we started a series talking about uh, some of the world's secrets. And today we're going to talk about the city of Troy. You know, it was... The story of the city of Troy uh, first appeared in Homer's Iliad in ancient Greece. Written in the mid-8th century B.C. And he described a long, bloody war, now known as the Trojan War, fought between the Greeks and the Trojans about 500 years before his time. So you have to ask yourself, was the legendary ancient Greek city the factual basis for the Iliad? Was the Trojan War a real war? Well, the Greeks won the war by hiding inside the colossal Trojan horse, according to the story, to gain entrance to the wall city and ultimately overrun um, the Trojans. So, did Troy really exist? Or was Homer's account the product of his fertile imagination? Your observations at the locale where Homer placed Troy in present-day northwestern Turkey revealed the site's actually a series of ancient cities, each one built on top of the ruins of the previous one. 
And one of the layered cities, which ties us into the date of Homer's account, bears a similarity to Homer's description. And there's strong evidence that the city was destroyed by war. Well, based on these findings, modern scholars are fairly well convinced Troy is a historical fact. Some researchers believe Homer heard tales of the centuries past during his lifetime and recounted them as well as he was able in his Iliad. Of course, to date, there's no specific concrete proof of the Trojan War in the literature of any ancient civilization and certainly no proof that the Trojan horse actually existed. Well, from the Trojan War, let's talk about uh, the curse of Tutankhamun. You know, a trail of tragedies plagues the lives of those associated with the discovery of Tut's tomb in Egypt's Valley of the Kings. A hieroglyphic inscription over the entrance to the tomb of the boy Pharaoh, Tutankhamun, reads, Death will come on swift wings to whoever to, um, touches the tomb of the Pharaoh. But English archaeologist Howard Carter and his financial backer, Lord Carnivan, were undaunted by this warning. November 26, 1922, they opened the door of the ancient ruler's tomb. And in opening that door, the two men made the greatest find in the history of archaeology. And, many say, unleashed a mysterious 3,200-year-old curse. Well, Tutankhamun's final resting place was pretty much intact and revealed a treasure trove of artifacts that included furniture and gold statues and the royal chariot and weapons and jewel-encrusted pendants. Excavating and cataloging the finds took many weeks into the spring of 1923, the time when a string of inexplicable disasters struck the digging party. March 6th, Lord Carnarvon was bitten on the cheek by a mosquito, and after that he began to run a high fever that turned into pneumonia. Newspaper writers speculated that a protective curse on the pharaoh's tomb was responsible for the Lord Carnivon's illness. Public fears peaked when Carnivon died on the night of April 5th. And after his death, the, the curse spread, resulting in a string of calamities. Arthur Mason, American archaeologist on the Tut Pig, fell into a coma and died shortly after Carnivon did. George Gould, millionaire, American antiquities collector and son of the famous financier, Jay Gould, died days after he visited the tomb. British radiologist Archibald Douglas Reed, who x-rayed Tutankhamun's tomb, died on his return to England in 1924. Professor Georges Benedicti, director of Egyptian antiquities at the Louvre Museum in Paris, fell while visiting the tomb, contracted pneumonia, and died in Luxor in 1926. By 1929, 22 people involved in a Tutankhamun excavation had died unexpectedly, including an attendant in the British Museum who collapsed and died while handling objects from the tomb. Well, for many people, even today, the curse of the King Tut's tomb remains more than an alarming coincidence. There are many, many people who believe it's absolutely... Um, 
very viable curse that still acts today. Well, from King Tut's tomb, let's talk about what's known as the Guardian in Giza. This is the man lion statue of ancient Egypt. Remains the world's most uh, quintessential, quintessential enigma. On the Giza Plateau on the west bank of Egypt's Nile River is the Great Sphinx, the largest carving in the ancient world. World-renowned sculpture resides a short distance from the three pyramids that served as tomb for Egyptian pharaohs, the Great Pyramid of Khufu, the Pyramid of Khafre, and the Pyramid of Menkore. Measuring 238 feet in length and 66 feet from the base to the top of the head. The Great Sphinx was carved from the Aries limestone to face the rising sun. Now, interestingly enough, not a single mention of the statue's construction has ever been found in Egypt. And beside those few known details, archaeologists, Egyptologists, and scholars have been hounded of speculation as to the age and the origin and the function of this enigmatic sculpture. Most historians believe the Sphinx was built during the reign of Khafre, also known as Chephren, about 2540 B.C. It said that Khafre had his face carved onto the body of a lion at roughly the same time as nearby pyramid was being constructed. 1990, Boston University geologist Robert Such challenged this commonly held view by claiming erosion on the Sphinx could uh, only been the consequence of rainfall and water runoff. And that would date the Sphinx to an era of uh, heavier rainfall than found in a recent millennia, anywhere from 5,000 to 9,000 B.C. Now, skeptics, of course, dismissed the claim, noting similar patterns of water erosion that hadn't been found on the, the other monuments in Giza. Other hypotheses uh, surround the mysterious monument. Some say the Sphinx was originally the statue of a jackal dog god Anubis, and its face was recarved in the likeness of Pharaoh Amenhotep II. Some writers claim the statue served as a tomb, others that it possesses supernatural powers. But whatever its origin and function, the Great Sphinx has stirred the imagination of all those who behold it. There has long been a legend that between its paws is an entrance to an underground library that contains a wealth of information. Well, let's talk about Ramses II, Pharaonic Egypt's long-lived ruler, said to be the most prolific builder of the ancient world. He was also known as Ramses the Great, was arguably the greatest pharaoh of ancient Egypt. He ascended the throne upon the death of his father, Seti I, in 1279 B.C., and he ruled Egypt for 66 years. That's the second longest reign in Egyptian history. He died at about the age of 90. Believed to have had more than 200 wives and concubines and fathered more than 100 children, he enjoyed a stable and prosperous reign. He secured his nation's border against Egypt's enemies, most notably the Hittites, and vastly increased the wealth of the country. Most enduring legacy is his unmatched record as the builder of more monuments, temples, and colossal statues than any other Egyptian ruler. He completed the construction of the temple at Karnak and built a new capital at uh, P. Ramses, the mortuary temple uh, Ramsesium, 
temples at Abu Simbel and other notable projects. A lot of historians believe at least one inspiration for Ramses' building passion was Nefertari, his first wife and most cherished queen. Had her name and likeness inscribed on temple walls and ordered countless statues of her to be built, even long after she died. Well, he had actually taken other wives. He still cherished the memory of the first one. The tomb he built for her in Thebes is one of the most magnificent in all of ancient Egypt. Which does make you wonder what his uh, drive was to continue to uh, exalt a dead queen. Well, you know, there's a stone kingdom in Africa that's gotten a lot of um, discussion. Second only to ancient Egypt, the greatest stone monuments on the African continent continue to baffle researchers. In his 1552 book, The Asia, Portuguese historian Joao de Barros describes a complex in Sofala, a port in present-day Mozambique, as a Square fortress, masonry within and without, built of stones of marvelous size. Says the fortress lay in the heart of gold mining country. For centuries afterwards, Arab and Egyptian explorers assumed the site was the biblical Ophir, the mines from which King Solomon of Israel obtained his vast gold treasure. 1871, German explorer Karl Mosch, on a quest to find the fabled site of Ophir, deep into the present-day modern uh, southern uh, Zimbabwe, west of Safala. He discovered a large expanse of granite stone ruins, some with walls as high as 32 feet. 1891, British archaeologist James Bent conducted the first formal dig in this abandoned city, followed by investigations by British journalist Richard Hall in 1902 and British archaeologist David Randall um, McIver in 1905. Sifting through dozens of ruins, researchers uncovered scores of artifacts, including imported objects such as Arab bees and Chinese ceramics, dating to the 14th and 15th centuries um, A.D. By the late 1920s, the consensus among scholars was pretty much unanimous. The extensive stone ruins that came to be known as the Great Zimbabwe were built by local African tribes, maybe the Shona or the Vinda, beginning about 1100 A.D., the ruins cover a 200-acre area in Zimbabwe, making the site the largest of many similar stone uh, ruins across Zimbabwe and neighboring Mozambique. In addition to serving as a place of worship, the great Zimbabwe was the hub of a prosperous trading empire that flourished centuries before Arab or European settlers dominated commerce in that region. What led to its decline is not really uh, certain. Maybe famine or drought forced the citizens to move to more hospitable regions. Other theories suggest the depletion of gold in nearby mines resulted in declining trade and subsequent abandonment of the complex. Whatever may have been the reason, it is an absolutely stunning stone kingdom. Well, from Africa, let's talk about uh, a once great 
Mediterranean civilization, it vanished, leaving behind magnificent ruins, spectacular artworks, and a lot of unanswered questions. I'm talking about the Minoans. Roughly 3,500 years ago, the first great European civilization collapsed. Once again, I'm talking about the Minoans, mysterious inhabitants of the island of Crete, the Mediterranean Sea. Between 3,000 and 1450 B.C., Minoan civilization thrived, controlling a vast maritime trading empire with bustling cities and sumptuous private estates, uh, spectacular palaces, including the labyrinthine uh, Knossos. Minoan artisans and craftsmen produced magnificent ornaments made of gold and gems and painted breathtaking frescoes of Earth's natural beauty. Then suddenly, the Minoans were no more. What happened to these Bronze Age people whose sophistication set them apart from the rest of humanity? Well, details about the Minoan civilization are scanty. The questions about who the Minoans were may have recently been answered. A study released by geneticist George Stematoyanopoulos of the University of Washington in Seattle in 2013 revealed that DNA extracted from the teeth of ancient Minoans indicate the Minoans were of Cretan and Greek origin. According to that study, the ancestors of the, Cret- uh, the uh, Cretans came from modern-day Turkey and Iraq about 9,000 years ago. But whoever they may have been doesn't explain their advancements. Nobody seems to know how those came about. Well, from Crete, let's go to the mythical and mysterious Tower of Babel. See, the people of Babylon built a massive tower so they could touch the heavens. But according to legend, their arrogance angered God who inflicted an eternal punishment. The story of the Tower of Babel is actually recounted in Genesis, um, chapter 11 of the Bible. It was probably written about the 6th century B.C., roughly during the time when the Hebrews lived in captivity in Babylon. At that time, Babylon was the most magnificent city on the planet. Situated on the Euphrates River in Mesopotamia, the city boasted beautiful and impressive structures and including the fabled Hanging Gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Babylonian builders erected imposing ziggurats, tall rectangular step towers surmounted by important temples, and the ruins of numerous ziggurats can still be seen today. The biblical tale of the Tower of Babylon was based on Babylonian ziggurats. The story serves as a biblical explanation of the existence of multiple languages, According to the story, before the tower was built, all people spoke one language. When God saw the plan to erect the tower to reach the heavens, he said, If as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, and nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Let us go down and confound their language. They may not understand each other's speech. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. Well, the ancient Hebrews believed the name of the city was derived from the Hebrew word Balal, meaning confusion. It was a reference to the chaos that followed after God caused people to speak different languages. 
Well, from the Tower of Babel, let's talk about the fabled Stonehenge, the world's most famous megalithic structure. I've seen it. It's imposing. It sits on Salisbury Plain in the county of Wiltshire in southern England. Archaeologists believe that several different groups constructed this prehistoric monument at several different times. Earliest structures in the area are four or five pits that held timber posts erected uh, between 8500 and 7000 BC by about 3500 BC. Several long barrows or burial mounds and numerous rectangular earthworks have been built in the vicinity of Stonehenge proper. About 3000 BC, a circular ditch measuring 360 feet in diameter was built with an inner and outer band. This hinge, as it was called, was encircled by timber posts and had two entrances. Cremations and burials were conducted there. In about uh, 2600 B.C., two concentric circles of blue stone pillars were raised at the center of the site. They weighed about four tons each. And the stones were carved at a quarry about 190 miles away and transported to Salisbury Plain. Now, how they were transported, nobody seems to know. It's something that would test our ability to move today. About 300 years later, the blue stones were replaced by Saracens, the familiar sandstone pillars and slabs visible at the site today. Well, from Stonehenge, let's go to a temple city in Mexico was one of the greatest Maya achievements and the final resting place of a great king. I'm talking about the Mayan city of Palenque. At 250 AD, Mayan civilization dominated present-day southeastern Mexico, all of Guatemala and Belize and the western regions of Honduras and El Salvador. Mayan city of Palenque, central Mexico, is best known for the Temple of Inscriptions. Completed about uh, 685 A.D., the Temple of um, Inscriptions is a nine-step pyramid with a small building on top. You have to climb a steep 65-foot high stairway. While investigating the temple in 1949, Mexican archaeologist Alberto Ruiz Lohiller found a large stone in the temple floor. And he lived at this lab to discover a rubble-filled staircase leading down beneath that building. Well, when he finally reached the bottom of the stairs, he found a standing rectangular-shaped slab of stone and the skeletons of six young people. Moving aside the slab, he entered a large tomb with an enormous sarcophagus, elaborately carved in bas reliefs. And inside that sarcophagus was the skeleton of a man covered by jade ornaments. Of course, at that time, they didn't know who he was. They didn't figure out who he was until the 1970s when the carvings on the lid of the sarcophagus were finally uh, deciphered. The archaeological community was astonished to learn the crypt belonged to the famous Maya ruler, Sun Lord Pakal. During his 69-year reign, Palenque became one of the great urban hubs of Mesoamerica. Before it vanished into the ruins of history. Well, from South America, 
Let's go to the Oracle at Delphi. You know, in those days, citizens of ancient Greece availed themselves of mystical intermediaries to communicate with the god Apollo. We have something similar now. It's called Congress. Situated on mainland Greece beneath the cliffs of Mount Parnassus, the city of Delphi held a unique place in ancient Greek culture. It thrived as a Greek center from about the 7th century B.C. to 200 B.C. And among the city's many buildings was the Temple of Apollo, home of the Delphic Oracle. Here, a priestess prophetess called the Pythia answered questions put to her by politicians and military leaders and commoners who traveled to Delphi from throughout the, the world. The Pythia would breathe in hydrocarbon gases from a crack in the ground, fall into a trance, and communicate with the god Apollo. The words she uttered, thought to be inspired by the god, were incoherent ramblings incomprehensible to the people who sought her prophecies. Male priest in the temple, though, interpreted the Pythia's words, translated them into the common language, and passed them on to the advice seekers. Unsurprisingly, the oracle's prophecies were cryptic, open to interpretation, and many times had double meanings. Ruins of Delphi still stand today, evidence of the dynamic place the city and temple held in ancient Greece. And from Delphi, we're going to Karnak. This French countryside is home to some of the world's oldest man-made structures. Karnak is located in southwest coast of France, home to remarkable megalithic burial mounds, stone tombs, circular stone enclosures, and nearly 3,000 standing stones arranged in an avenue-like linear fashion. We are told prehistoric farmers constructed a site about 4700 B.C. The granite stones varying in size from a foot in height to 21 feet, and each one laying up to several hundred tons, are arranged in neat parallel rows called alignments. The Carmario alignment consists of 1,029 stones in 10 columns spanning a length of 4,300 feet. The site also features numerous dolmens, tombs made from two or more standing stones topped by a large horizontal slab. Spectacular Kirkuno dolmen is 13-foot by 11-foot rectangular chamber made with nine support stones and a Horizontal capstone measuring 25 feet long and weighing about 40 tons. Yes, farmers did that. The exact purpose of the site, especially the alignments, is still a puzzle. Recent scholarship contends uh, the alignments probably point to important or sacred sites such as the enclosures. In addition, the alignments and mounds may also have served an astronomical function, maybe acting as a Calendars are used to track the movement of heavenly bodies. In fact, some researchers believe that Karnak itself served as a large lunar observatory. Of course, all these theories quite often are um, designed to cover up the fact that they don't know jack about what they're talking about. But from Karnak in France, let's go to the pyramids of Giza once again. Three spectacular pyramids on top of the Plateau Giza on the west bank of the Nile River. They actually symbolize the glory of ancient Egypt and its mysterious past. 
Rising from the desert sands, the pyramids of Giza are tombs built to serve as the final resting place for the great kings of Egypt. Northernmost pyramid was built for Khufu, known as Cheops in Greek. Called the Great Pyramid, it's the oldest and largest pyramid of the group and the only survivor of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Each of the four sides of its base averaged 755 feet in length and its original height was 481 feet. Little Pyramid, the second to be built, was built by Khafre. Measured 705 feet on each side and stood 471 feet tall. Southernmost Pyramid was built for Menkore, measuring 356 feet at the base and 218 feet in height. Each pyramid was originally encased in glistening white limestone. Great Pyramid and a gold-plated capstone as well. Thieves and plunderers have long since stolen everything of value. The Great Pyramid was built about 2650 B.C. Maybe. There's still theories that it was built much earlier. It's one of the world's most astonishing man-made structures. More than two million blocks of limestone, each weighing more than two tons, were quarried, cut, transported, and assembled to create the enormous structure. And inside the pyramid were three large chambers connected by corridors and passageways. Scrophicus alleged to be that of Khufu's located in the king's chamber. Now, because the king's remains were never found, it's uncertain whether anybody was ever buried in the sarcophagus at all. The Grand Gallery, a 152-foot-long, 29-foot-high passageway, is another main feature of the Great Pyramid. And despite all we know about the Great Pyramid, a lot of questions are still unanswered. How do Egyptians manage such a complex engineering project? And how were the massive stones lifted and carried and emplaced? Lastly, what was the purpose of the Great Pyramid? Without evidence that Khufu was buried there, are we really certain this pyramid was actually constructed as his tomb? The interior walls of the pyramid are completely bare decoration. There are no markings of any kind. If a tomb, we would expect the great king's name to appear prominently. But if it wasn't a tomb, then what was it? Some claim the pyramid was a celestial observatory or a structure built by ancient aliens. Countless theories have made their way into popular culture, spawning documentaries and films and novels about the power and mysticism of these ancient structures. Modern technology might help answer the many riddles of the Great Pyramid, but maybe the most enigmatic aspect of the the structure is that it uh, continues to mystify folks nearly 5,000 years after the time it's thought to have been completed. Well, from the pyramids, let's go to Karnak and Luxor, two of ancient Egypt's grandest and most ambitious building projects. The Temple of Karnak, also called the Temple of Amun, is located on the east bank of the Nile at Thebes, Temple honors Amun and other Egyptian gods. Construction on the sanctuaries and halls and gateways and courtyards and man-made lake that make up the entire temple complex began about 1970 B.C. 
site, of course, was built gradually with additions and renovations continuing for many centuries through the Ptolemaic dynasty and of the Greeks. Considered one of Egypt's most sacred places, the complex is one of the world's largest religious sites. The ruins cover an impressive 200 acres. The most imposing building at Karnak was the massive uh, hypostyle hall, covering 57,000 square feet. The roof, which has since fallen in, was supported by 134 stone columns, 72 feet tall and 11 feet in diameter. The hall was built by Seti I, with additions made by successor Ramses II. After Rome seized control of Egypt in 30 B.C., uh, the number of people visiting the complex fell off. By the 4th century A.D., it was pretty much abandoned. Located about one and a half miles south of Karnak is Luxor Temple, built by a series of Egyptian pharaohs during the 14th century B.C. It's not dedicated to any specific god or host of gods, but rather to the physical and spiritual renewal and rejuvenation of kings. Visitors entering the complex through a massive pylon featuring two towers measuring 78 feet high and 210 feet wide. Towers are carved with a scene depicting Ramses II at the Battle of Kadesh against the Hittites. Two huge seated statues of the Great Pharaoh guard the gateway. A structure called the Great Hall of Ramses II is 188 feet long and 168 feet wide. Seventy-four columns once supported its roof, and numerous standing statues of Ramses II occupy a portion of the space. Straight avenue lined with an estimated 1,350 human-headed sphinxes once uh, connected the temples of Karnak and Luxor. Six shrines used during festival processions were also set up on the roadway, which was restored in 2010. And today, as you might guess, Karnak and Luxor are popular tourist attractions. Most of the tourists have no idea of what it represents. Well, from Karnak and Luxor, let's go to Lourdes and talk about the uh, the four, poor farm girl who claimed to have visions of the Virgin Mary. Her visions have inspired thousands of pilgrims to journey to a small French town in hopes of a cure and healing for various ailments. Now, in 1858, Lourdes was a small market town in the foothills of the Pyrenees Mountains in southwest France. It was here that 14-year-old Bernadette Subrios claimed she had 18 visitations with the Virgin Mary. The encounter supposedly occurred at a grotto next to the Gave de Pau River. The teenager reported the apparition told her to drink from and bathe in the waters of her spring in the grotto and the had the local priest build a chapel there. Well, three years later, construction began on the first of several churches, chapels, and basilicas in the vicinity of the grotto. Word about the alleged curative powers of the grotto spread. By the late 1860s, thousands of people afflicted with various illnesses and health issues began to pour into the tiny town each year. Over the years, thousands of pilgrims to Lourdes uh, claimed to have been healed by various, uh, various ailments by drinking or bathing in the waters of the spring, which is now a treasured religious shrine featuring a large sacred complex called the Sacrosanctuary of the Lady of Lourdes. Cancers, tuberculosis, arthritis, mental illness, severed limbs, and dozens of other afflictions have reportedly been cured. 
However, chemical analysis of the Lord's water reveals it contains no special properties capable of curing any illnesses. Regardless, each year about 350,000 pilgrims bathe in the waters of this especially constructed baths. Millions make the journey to fill bottles of water to carry home. And amazingly enough, the water is free. The um, There's been a lot of, well, let's call them visitations, where the Virgin Mary supposedly appeared to various people. And from those appearances, of course, have come reported miracles. But it does raise interesting questions. Well, from Lourdes, let's go to Cambodia. To a once great Hindu temple city. It's now abandoned and forgotten. Devoured by the ever-encroaching jungle of Southeast Asia. And if you've never been in the jungle, you can't begin to understand what jungle growth can do. Somebody can be standing two feet from you and you can't see them. Hidden deep in the jungles of present-day Cambodia, the ruins of a civilization whose discovery stunned the archaeological community. These ruins were once home to millions of people. The city contained one of the largest religious buildings in the world, surrounded by enormous waterways. Discovered by French naturalist André Mahout in 1860, the city of Angkor in Cambodia's northern province of Siem Reap covered more than 150 square miles and consisted of temples and houses and shrines and reservoirs and canals and terraces. And there are hundreds of statues and carvings depicting emperors and events from Hindu mythology uh, to be found throughout the city. When Mahout arrived in uh, Angkor, however, he found the once great metropolis in near complete ruin, empty, crumbling, and all but consumed by the jungle. Angkor was the capital city of the Khmer Empire, which flourished in Southeast Asia from about the 9th to the 15th century AD. The Khmer eventually abandoned the city, but nobody seems to know why. Some historians claim an invasion by Thai armies in 1431 forced the city's inhabitants to flee. Others argue climatic shifts resulted in disaster flood damage. The city was completely abandoned in the 15th century. Yeah, from Cambodia, let's go to Glastonbury. It said a mysterious hill is the burial place of the mythical King Arthur. Towering above the plains of Somerset levels in Somerset, England, is Glastonbury Tor, a 520-foot hill that's one of Britain's most mysterious places. Some historians believe the imposing hill of clay and sandstone, visible from up to 30 miles away, was formed when softer surrounding earth eroded, leaving the conical peak of the sandstone exposed. Others claim that Glastonbury was actually once an island sitting in flooded marshland that over time dried up. Over the centuries, numerous churches and sanctuaries built of wood and stone were erected on the summit of Glastonbury Tor. First known date of construction at the town is about 712 A.D. The only structure on top of the peak of Glastonbury Tor today is the remnants of St. Michael's Church built in the 14th century. 
In 1190 A.D., monks of Glastonbury claimed they discovered the graves of King Arthur and his queen Guinevere. Modern historians dismiss Glastonbury as Arthur's final resting place, claiming the monks concocted the tale to increase the abbey's uh, prominence. But there was a story that the body of a large man in a coffin with a smaller woman was discovered at Glastonbury. Could be Arthur was discovered. Well, from Glastonbury and King Arthur, let's talk about the legendary Loch Ness Monster. Continues to astonish and enthrall people despite the skepticism of the scientific community. You know, the strange spectacle on Loch Ness has caused many people to puzzle over what it might be. In fact, one of the earliest stories was a headline May 2nd, 1933 in the edition of the Inverness Courier. According to the story, the creature disported itself, rolling and plunging for fully a minute, its body resembling that of a whale and water cascading and churning like a simmering uh, cauldron. Mr. Ms. John McKay claimed to have spotted the monster while driving along a shore road adjacent to the lake, and they provided the story of the alleged shotting of the unidentified creature to the career correspondent. A number of weeks later, Another couple in the area reported seeing the creature on land. They said it was 25 feet long with a long, narrow neck. Well, the legend of the Loch Ness Monster, known as Nessie to the locals, has long been established in local folklore, dating back as far as 1,500 years. At that time, local inhabitants carved an image of a large sea creature on a nearby megalithic structure. Additionally, an early written account of the beast claims that in 565 A.D., St. Columba confronted and turned away a large beast at Loch Ness who was about to kill a man. Loch Ness, located southwest of Inverness in the Scottish Highlands, measures 23 feet long and a mile wide. Its deepest point is 755 feet. It's the home of the much-celebrated Nessie, so that makes it the, probably the most famous lake in the world. Credible proof of the creature's existence was believed to be a 1934 photograph of a dinosaur-like creature with a long, thin neck breaking the surface of the water. Known as the surgeon's photo, after the man who sold the copyright of the photo to the newspaper, Surgeon Robert Kenneth Wilson, 1979, it was decided it was a hoax. Scores of photos and films of the elusive beast have been unable to prove its existence. In 2003, a BBC-sponsored search of Loch Ness using sonar and satellite navigation to scour the lake from shore to shore and top to bottom didn't find anything in the depths. Well, despite the lack of scientific proof, or maybe because of it, tens of thousands of tourists trek to Loch Ness each year in hopes of getting a glimpse of the legendary monster. This fascination has created an industry around Nessie and added value to the region's economy. And the mere fact that a scientist tells me that after his research, he doesn't, he's going to debunk whatever everybody else believes. Uh-huh. Come out of your ivory tower and get out here with the rest of us. And finally, we're going to talk about another creature. A unicorn. Now, it's said that they're likely mistaken for the real-life um, oryx, 
Elan, or even the extinct species, the powerful legendary beast of antiquity have amazed and enchanted humans for thousands of years. According to uh, Pliny the Elder, Roman author and naturalist from the first century A.D., the unicorn is the fiercest animal, and it's said that it's impossible to capture one alive. It has the body of a horse, the head of a stag, the feet of an elephant, the tail of a boar, and a single black horn, three feet long in the middle of its forehead. Most ancient peoples were convinced unicorns were bona fide creatures of nature. The earliest known written description of unicorns comes from the 5th century B.C. historian uh, Cetesius. He described the animals having a single horn and colored uh, white, red, and black. Tales and accounts of unicorns became commonplace in Europe during the Middle Ages. Some writers, such as Archbishop Isidore of uh, Seville, were adamant they existed. According to what he wrote in the 7th century, it's very strong and pierces everything it attacks. It fights with elephants and kills them by wounding them in the belly. And unicorns were mentioned frequently in the King James Version of the Bible. According to num uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 22, God brought him out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Many people believe the horn of the unicorn held magical and medicinal powers. It said to cure diseases of all kind and could detect poison if stirred into drink or mixed with food. Greedy entrepreneurs ground up the tusk of elephants or walruses, the horns of the oryx, or the tusk-like canine tooth of the norwal, and sold the power as cures, claiming it came from real-life unicorn. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow and talk about one of your favorite uh, creatures, the Bigfoot. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.